0: Welcome to episode 41 of The Process, just go for it.
1: to live my life I had to learn my lessons I had to keep that smile but deep inside I'm stressing trying to keep my spirits from that deep depression it's time to tighten up I put my pride down and pick that bible up welcome to episode 41 of the process I am Quavon Taylor and I am Amante
0: Martin today we have Bridget Case on the podcast welcome to the podcast Miss Bridget
2: oh awesome thanks for having me I'm so pumped to be here
0: awesome awesome can you tell the listeners where you're from
2: uh yeah i'm from southern california i grew up in orange county all my life and then um you know kind of had a little tour of the west coast you know moving around after graduating high school and then i'm all of a sudden I'm back here again living here and and yeah it's been been good ever since
0: <laughs> for for us east siders over here us yeah east coasters uh Where is Southern, where's Orange County, like Southern California, where is it? So
2: it's just South of Los Angeles. So, you know, most people kind of consider it LA, I guess it's like the LA market, but it's kind of like the suburban area of LA, you know, I hate saying the OC, but like, it's like the TV show, you know, (laughs) that's the best way to explain it. So about 45 minutes South of downtown LA.
0: What was it like growing up there?
2: Uh, You know, it was awesome. I mean, I was so lucky to grow up with such a wonderful family who really, um, who really nurtured me as a child. Like, I had everything I needed to succeed um, growing up dancing. You know, I was really successful as a competitive dancer all my life. But um, the hardest part about growing up here, I've got to be honest, and I know most people either see it or they don't very clearly, is just that it's definitely a different kind of vibe and there's a lot of spoiled kids that are at your school you know there's some schools that don't see it as much but i felt like at my high school um it was a constant competition between girls guys whatever it may be just there was no authenticity you know and just people were so obsessed with materialistic things And um, I didn't really realize it until I moved to Oregon and people were a lot more um, real and down to earth that I was in this bubble all my life. So I kind of, I kind of glad that I broke out of the bubble when I moved to college because all my life, all I wanted to do was go to UCLA and then I didn't get in. And that's why I went to Oregon. So yeah, it's, I'm kind of glad I got out of the bubble and I'm glad to be back here, but I feel like I have a much more clear perspective on life now living here and what's what's important, you know?
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. It's always good sometimes to get away from home. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah,
2: definitely. I think
0: we all live in our quote-unquote bubbles. Um, yes. And so it's always good to get away and to come back. Yeah. Um, you said you wanted to go to the uh, UCLA, but you end up going to Oregon. Uh, why Oregon?
2: Well, I mean, I knew a couple things. I knew that I wanted to be at one of the best, um, you know, one of the best college football programs in the country. That was really important to me mm-hmm. because that came with where I would cheer. So, you know, as a as a competitive dancer all my life, um, I really knew that I wanted to be somewhere where school spirit was huge. And um, Oregon at the time had one of the top programs in the country, so I just knew that I really wanted to be a cheerleader there. And that was a main goal for me. Plus they had a top journalism school. So it's just kind of like all the puzzle pieces went together and I felt like it was just a really good fit. So it was between Oregon and Texas. That's what my last two were down to. And then um, I just kind of picked Oregon and it was the perfect choice because we ended up going to the national championship my first year in um, 2010, the 2010 season. So, yeah.
0: I know that was a cool experience. Uh, What was it like, you know, being a Southern California girl, moving all the way up to Eugene, Oregon. How was that transition?
2: Um, Really hard. I mean, like, I will tell you, my freshman year, I cried a lot. Like, a lot. Because I just, I I was very sheltered, and I didn't realize how much I needed to learn. I didn't realize how alone I would feel. Um, It wasn't so much the weather. That's the thing. People always ask, like, oh, did you get you know, sad and depressed because of the weather. No, I actually, I love the rain and I love the clouds. So that actually made me excited. Like that got me pumped up to get more done, but definitely finding your tribe, finding those new friends is difficult. Like your first year of college, you're really still figuring out who you are. You know, you don't really figure out who you are. I feel like until you're pretty much midway through college, like a junior or so, and you hit that stride. So, um, you know, initially, in the first place, it was hard. But once I found out who I was, once I kind of got into a routine, you know, Eugene was the best four years of my life, I would say.
1: What was it like being a to during the Chip Kelly era?
2: Oh, you know, it was, it was awesome. I mean, he's, for one, obviously, an incredible college football coach. But two, just a great guy. You know, I remember being at a radio show, um, with him and after the radio show You know, he just came up to me. This is when I was a freshman and just patted, you know, me on the back and just said, you know, just want to thank you guys so much for all you do. We couldn't do this without you. And those words stuck with me forever. I was just like, holy crap, like Chip Kelly just came up and thanked me for my hard work. Like that makes me feel so good. And like, I'm important. And really from then on, you know, that's when I was a freshman and really from then on, it made me feel like, you know, we're all in this together. We're all a team and he had very much so that mentality and when you're at a school like that honestly the atmosphere is unreal like you cannot explain it the vibe in Autzen Stadium I mean is insane no matter if it's raining or sunny um is it's just unbelievable no matter when we're traveling or not um Oregon fans are the best fans in the country in my opinion And I'm just so blessed to be a duck, but especially being there during the Chip Kelly era, you know, I got to cheer in three BCS bowl games and I couldn't have asked for, you know, a better experience. Obviously I would have loved to win the national championship. Um, You know, my second year we went to the Rose Bowl and played Wisconsin. My junior year, we uh, went to the Fiesta Bowl and we had only only lost one game that season and we lost by a field goal, um, a missed field goal. Um, which was just literally the most painful moment that everybody endured that whole year because we lost one game to Stanford and it basically screwed our whole season. So of course, if the college national, if the college football playoff was in place, you know, things would have been a little bit different. Um, And then we, you know, played Kansas state in the Fiesta Bowl and crushed them. And that's when Notre Dame played Alabama and the national championship was crap. But my point just being that it was so fun to just be a part of like the basically party that we had for, for those years, that time. Um, I just, I couldn't have asked for a better time in my life. And it was something that I only dreamed about and I really never knew how to make it come to life. So yeah, it was pretty unreal.
1: How was it uh, being a student athlete and juggling that and traveling from week to week?
2: Yeah, that was definitely the hardest part. I mean, football season was definitely the hardest. You know, we didn't travel so much for basketball, only for like bigger tournaments. Football was definitely the hardest. Um, you know, you would definitely lighten up your load and try to take, you know, summer school classes that, that you you'd really have to plan your schedule around your the seasons. So that part was really hard. Like you couldn't have a super hard major. You know, my journalism major was obviously difficult, but I really had to plan ahead as to when my classes were. Um, You know, sometimes I know like my senior year, I had to get certain credits in. So I had to do my weight training with my strength and conditioning coach. I had to do it at a a different time than the rest of my team, just because I had to get a certain class in. Um, You know, I had to take some tests on um, I had to take some tests at bowl games. I remember that, that like people, we, I can't remember if it was my coach, but somebody on our staff would proctor, you know? So it was kind of all of those things where you don't realize at the time that that's going on, but um, yeah, it's crazy. Like you really learn to multitask and it's it's definitely hard, but it's really a good way to set you up for life and learn how to multitask. I wish I had been a little bit more prepared for um, the real world. That's the one thing I was so worried about, Um, game days and I was so worried about putting cheerleading first that I didn't figure out ways to fit in internships and things like that because I really didn't have time but I wish that I had figured out more ways to do that and that's what I would tell any student athlete nowadays is figure out something to set yourself up for success when you get out of your sport.
0: How how do you find room as a student athlete for internships and, you know, career building skills because it exactly. seems like you're always being pulled in different directions to, you know, cheer at events or, or different basketball games and things like that.
2: Mm-hmm. Totally. I mean, it's so hard, especially like during the summer, like we only got like a four week summer, you know, while everybody else gets months, you know? Um, And, and during that summer, most people are still, you're still doing events and appearances, but, most, uh, most internships are like 10 weeks, you know, 12 weeks long. I remember like I applied to a couple, but I wasn't able to get them because I wasn't able to be there for the whole internship. But I wish that I had been more aggressive in using my connections, the connections that I had made because I was so involved with the athletic department using those connections to just shadow people um, at stations or newspapers, whatever it may be. I just wish that I had been more proactive and saw, okay, you know what? I can, I might not be able to do this full internship, but I could just get a little bit of experience here and there. But I think that I was so scared of failing um, and not doing the right thing and not being on the exact path of what it meant to become a journalist that I got so sucked in. Um, to like doing everything's the right everything the right way. So I would really suggest that just like take advantage of the resources that you have because as a student athlete you have all of these resources that nobody else on campus has. You have access to everybody in the athletic department and you have clout that basically you could probably ask for somebody at a local news station or somebody, whatever, whatever business you're trying to work in, you could probably email them, send them a, a dry email and just say, hey, can we get a cup of coffee? You know, I am I play volleyball or I play basketball at this school. I'd love to get a, copy with, a cup of coffee with you and just learn about what you do. I'm really interested in this, working in this industry. And then all of a sudden, you know, they might be recommending you later to shadow a colleague or something. And then they might be able to write you a, a letter of recommendation later when you're applying for um, a low an low entry level position, you just never know how things are going to spiral. And so it's just all about networking and all about that introductory, um, I would say informational interview. Just don't be afraid, just go for it.
0: I think that's great advice for both stu- the student and the athlete.
2: Yeah, um, definitely.
0: Because even when you're on campus, you don't know who knows who, because sometimes it's not about what you know, it's about who you know. So yep. you're among so many people on college campuses that you know, these people can be used as resources, as you said, and I agree. Um, so what was it like? Um, we talked about, you know, being a student athlete, you being a cheerleader there. Um, but did you face any struggles with the identity of being a cheerleader on a university campus? Oh, means?
2: yeah. No, big time. I mean, obviously not as many while I was in it because there were so many highs that came with being an Oregon cheerleader like you were basically a celebrity on campus and um you know you would walk into a party and just see a picture of you on some random person's wall and that kind of gets to your head sometimes I think without even realizing it so when you're not in that position anymore there's a huge letdown because nobody's asking you for things anymore nobody's really treating you the same way um with the same status nobody's asking you for tickets anymore um and you start to really realize who's important in your life, who your real friends are, and how you need to treat people with respect, and how you need to develop friendships with people outside of your sport, and why that's so important, because those are the people that are really going to be there for you through thick and thin, um, the people that are there, that the people that love you for you. So um, yeah, it was definitely, it wasn't too bad while I was there, because there were so many positives. Um, it was more so just that I dealt with some difficulties on the team. Like I dealt with a lot of bullying and, um, and trouble, you know, with an eating disorder. So the things that come with being on a team with a lot of girls that sadly are very normal. I dealt with those kinds of things. But, um, as far as the identity, I didn't really have my identity crisis until I left the NFL um because I went to cheer for the Chargers for a couple of years and then once I quit um NFL cheerleading that's when I really had I really hit my rock bottom and things dropped off for me because I felt like I completely had lost my identity as Bridget the cheerleader who everybody had known for years and all of a sudden I felt like I wasn't important anymore I felt like I didn't have a purpose in life and I felt like oh I have all these connections you know in in the sports industry, I'm going to be fine getting an entry level job in broadcasting. Hell no, that's not what happened. You know, I was working my butt off. I applied to like 70 entry level jobs, didn't get didn't hear back from one. And I just knew that, you know what? Okay, I'm going to have to work my i work my way up the old-fashioned way and just I'm going to have to re-network myself in here and not rely on just Thinking that things are going to go my way because I've been able to be a cheerleader for all this time. Um, So yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting thing. But I think that the loss of identity that I dealt with and being able to build up, build back up my identity these last couple years has really been a saving grace for me because I've I've been able to learn really who I am on the inside, how strong and resilient I am especially dealing with mental health issues my whole life, but especially in these last few years and overcoming the ch- daily challenges that I face um, you know it's really been super empowering and now I feel like because I'm a journalist, I'm able to share what I've been through and with the public and help others who are kind of going through the same thing.
0: I'm thinking about like during that during that time, you know hindsight is 2020. What do you think you could have done? Um. Sort to kind of lessen the blow of your your identity crisis, if you will.
2: Yeah. Um. I think I should have prepared for it more. You know, I was so concerned during the time about I was so in my cheerleading world. Even though I actually had started working broadcasting, I started my first job in Palm Springs. Um, that's when I first started covering high school football. And I was driving from San Diego to Palm Springs, with, which if most, most people down here know that's a two and a half hour commute. So two hours to two and a half hours. So I would go to practice, get done at 11. Then I drive out in the middle of the night, sleep for like two hours, then work the morning show or work the opposite shift on the weekends. I mean, sorry, on Fridays, on Thursdays and Fridays, and then go cheery game. So it was pretty nuts like I just kind of did everything that I could to survive but I didn't really put my full I was kind of not present on either side I wasn't really present with my team and I wasn't really present at my job and I wish that I'd been more present at my job because I was in a position where all of these people wanted to mentor me and wanted to help me succeed but you know at the time I was 22 23 years old I was so young that I really didn't see how amazing it was that I had this job that I was so lucky to crack my way into the broadcast industry um, that I kind of took advantage of it, you know, and, and I was having to take off so much work for games and, and for charger stuff and for traveling that I felt like I just didn't really, I don't know. I just didn't really see the importance of doing a great job at your first good job if that makes sense
1: yeah it makes sense so once you graduated from oregon what was next
2: um that so that's when i moved down to san diego and tried out for the nfl and cheered for the chargers so and then um had my complete identity crisis so that's when all that happened
1: so what was it like cheering for nfl team
2: You know, it's pretty surreal. Like my coach always used to say, there's nothing bigger than the NFL. There's nothing small about the NFL. And it's so true. But it's true on a positive level and it's true on a super negative level. When you're a cheerleader in the national spotlight representing an NFL brand, you are kind of told what to say at all times, who to be at all times. You're not allowed to, you weren't allowed to put your last name on social media. I know that some things have changed a little bit now, but at the time when I was in it, We weren't even allowed to represent ourselves as cheerleaders on social media. So like on, for instance, I couldn't post a picture of myself on Instagram in uniform on game day, if that makes sense. And all I had known at Oregon was, you know, Bridget the cheerleader on Instagram. And I really felt like, you know, okay, if I'm not allowed to tell people I'm a cheerleader and it's kind of this secretive thing, this is just really weird and you're basically coached all of the time what to say you're not allowed to share your own opinions like players are um about certain things maybe it be religion um politics whatever it may be not even something that serious but like you were told exactly what to say you have these basically party lines like we had toastmasters training once a week every week before practice which basically you learn how to speak um it kind of reminds me of like pageant training or something like you learn how to do public speaking. And the public speaking skills are fantastic, but with that, you so much so learn the right ways to answer, you know, a radio interview and the wrong ways to answer by basically giving your personal opinion. Like, personal opinions are not allowed. You leave your personal opinions at the door. And with all that, just became all of the negatives that you can imagine um, with girls dealing with body image issues. I'm so lucky that I never dealt with body image issues, I never thought I was fat, but um, I dealt with an eating disorder all my life because I had a binge eating disorder that I developed at a pretty young age. And my mom saw signs of it when I was in middle school, but didn't really know what to do. And she tells me that because she can kind of remember the moment when it started happening. But um, with binge eating, what it's basically like people think, oh, binge, like you just eat when you're emotional. No, like you eat to the point where you cannot stop. You don't understand what it's like to be hungry. Um, so I would go these days where I would binge so hard eating, purge, and then and just not eat all of a sudden. Like one day before a game because I know I was so bloated and I made myself feel so sick to the point also where I was hiding pizza boxes and you know ice cream tubs and boxes of cookies under my bed, away from my roommates so they wouldn't see all of the junk that I was hiding. And I was hiding all this stuff um, because I had so much anxiety about having to maintain this this body image that they had for me. You know, I was told to slim out my legs and I thought I looked great. That was not the problem. But because you were told these things 24/7, because we had had to be weighed once a week, every week at practice, it was really stressful i mean any girl would feel that way i remember our trainer who was a former chargers player um you know he would come to practice our saturday practices once a month and do like a full-on body evaluation and you know i've also got um hashimoto's disease which is an autoimmune disease and um where you can gain weight really easily and then lose weight really easily like And I, at one point in college gained three pounds really fast and it was really hard to lose. But, um, but that's kind of what happens when you deal with certain autoimmune diseases and with, with Hashimoto's disease, which is a thyroid disease, I can just gain a pound like that and with it, without me binging. And all of a sudden I had gained a pound on my sheet and I get chewed out by our trainer and he's like, what happened? How did you gain a pound? Blah, blah, blah. Okay. That's ridiculous. For one, it could just be water. And that's the thing. Two, girls used to just not drink water on days we had practice. So people would be so dehydrated because they were trying to get their weight down on the scale for the number. And because you would get benched if you didn't look good in your uniform. And um, yeah, so those were the most intense things. You know, dealing with the body image stuff, feeling like I couldn't really be a real true person. And also I'm like, you know, we barely got paid crap. Um, I mean, obviously we did get paid, but it's not enough. We always say it's a part-time job, but a full-time commitment, like the NFL cheerleading existence is your full, full first-time priority at that time. And for them not to care as much about you as they care about the players or as you care about them is just so unfair. Um, So, I mean, I don't think, I think there's been some headway made, but not a ton because, you know, where I was cheering, we were owned by a company that produces us so that the Chargers pay that company to produce us so they can get away with paying us less, if that makes sense.
1: What allowed you to manage that part of your life?
2: Oh. That's a good question. You know, just, I think just having such an incredible support system in my family, um, I've, I just knew that there was something bigger for me ultimately. And I knew that I, that this wasn't my whole life. You know, I, had, I was going to have a career in something else afterwards. And I just knew that I needed to soak up the positives, soak up the fact that I was a professional dancer doing something that I had wanted to do my entire life doing something that girls would fight for tooth and nail. And that's the thing people, they always say, you know, like, Oh, well, somebody will just take your job in a a minute. That's so true. You could be replaced instantly. You have to retry out every year. So it's one of those things where I just took advantage of everything I had at that time and really soaked it in. And now that I'm out of it, I'm very thankful because, you know, I got to experience the good, but I also don't have to deal with the bad anymore. So it was just all about reframing it and mindset.
0: So, so how long were you an NFL cheerleader? Uh, from
2: 2014 to
0: 2016. 2016, so two years. Yeah. yeah. Um. So transitioning from you know a college cheerleader to an NFL cheerleader and dealing with you know all those issues you dealt with during that time, what was it like transitioning into your next phase of life um, aside from being a cheerleader?
2: Yeah, that was, so that was the hardest part of my life. Like I kind of mentioned earlier, that's when I really hit my rock bottom, um, because I was always Bridget the cheerleader and I went through this identity crisis and all of a sudden, you know, I thought that I was going to have this super successful career in, a, as a journalist, um, not moving to the top right away by any means, but I just thought that it would be a little bit easier for me to climb the ranks and boy, that's not what happened. You know, I, Switched jobs a couple times. You know, I got my start at the NBC station in Palm Springs, and then I went and worked for a um, a professional tennis team. I was their host and producer. Um, but it was just not a good fit for me, not a good place. And then I was jobless for a little bit. And that's when I was working on my master's at USC, which I ended up graduating with my master's. And then I went to Washington and I worked in the CBS station in um, Eastern Washington as the sports anchor and reporter out there for a couple of years. And then, um, once I was done with that, then that's when I moved back here to California because I was just waiting for the next big thing. And, and, you know, I had gotten an agent and I was really ready for him to, um, help me jump to the next job. And I, no one was calling, you know, I was applying to all these jobs. My agent was putting me up for all these jobs. And I was just like that next person that, you know, would almost get hired. Or, um, you know, I'd be kind of teased with a location and a salary. Like, I thought I was gonna move a certain place a bunch of times. Like, I was ready to go. Like, I was already checking out apartments and stuff. And then it just wasn't happening. So I just decided, you know, I'm gonna move back in with my parents, which I did not wanna do. Um, But, you know, moved back in with my parents, decided to regroup. And that's when I decided, you know what? I can sit here and sulk and feel sorry for myself. Or I can get motivated and do something on my own. Do something for me. Because this whole time that I've been trying to find my way in broadcasting, I've been missing out on the digital age. I've been missing out on everything that people are doing on their phones now. And for me, it was podcasting. That's when it clicked. And I just figured, you know what? As a journalist, I can do something on my own and use my talents and get better um, by starting my own podcast. Because I left my last gig because, you know, I was only getting paid about $20,000 a year to live somewhere where I was, you know, covering high school sports and it was great, but I wasn't improving. You know, I didn't have any mentors out there. I just wasn't getting better and my contract was up. So it was either sign another two-year contract out there or take a chance on myself and leave and taking this chance on myself was the best thing I ever did because now that I have my own podcast and my own platform online, I have gotten better interviews. I've learned more about myself. I've met more people, I've been able to network. I have more time to be able to get the interviews that I want to get and not do the interviews that people are telling me to do. Or not have to say things that people who are above me at the company, you know, whatever corporate company owns your station is telling you you can or cannot talk about. Now I'm free to talk about my mental health struggles. Now I'm free to talk about my struggles with my eating disorder. It's so much more empowering to be able to tell people, hey, you're not alone. So many athletes, fellow athletes have dealt with mental health their entire playing careers and it was never talked about. And I felt like I was always alone in college and with the Chargers because I just felt like I had nobody to talk to. And when I would try to talk to if people thought that I was complaining or being negative, they didn't really understand that I was in so much pain. And if that could have been, um, if that could have been communicated differently and I could have said you know like hey no I'm dealing with mental health issues and it not be so taboo I think my whole experience would have been a lot different and I think that that's what is so great about where our society is going um so yeah I mean not only am I a journalist for my own reasons as far as I love telling stories but I feel like I'm really getting able I'm really able to finally make a difference in this world
0: I think that you, you, you pointed out something uh, unique that I think you, you, you use your skill sets um, in order to start something on your own, in order to be, uh, give you a platform to be transparent and authentic, you know, and I think that's big. Um, but I did want to take a step back and to ask, you know, what was it like um, finally getting into your career that you went to school for? Uh, what challenges did, did you face on a day-to-day basis?
2: Um, I mean, the biggest challenges, the biggest challenges I would say were exactly kind of what I was mentioning before that, you know, it's going to be hard, but you don't know how hard it's going to be. You don't know the intensities that you're going to face. You don't know the personalities that you're going to face. You don't know the kind of bosses that you're going to have. Um, so not only was it a lot of hard work, um, and I don't mind doing the hard work. I don't mind doing the nitty gritty. I love getting down and dirty. I love being my own cameraman my own producer my own writer my own anchor reporter every doing everything like you are doing everything you are you are shooting your stuff you are editing your your content you are editing your videos you are putting everything into the sources you are producing you are writing your scripts then you are going up on air and doing it all it's like pretty unbelievable how many jobs you do and I love it because you are you become so grateful for the jobs that everyone else does. I feel like as you move up, but um, yeah, the hardest part I think is just learning to deal with the different personalities because in the news world, um, there's just so many divas and also personalities people that feel like they can just get away with anything especially men um you know i dealt with a lot of men who treated me very disrespectfully at the last few stations that i worked at you know at my first station that i worked at when i was 23 years old you know one of the main, one of the anchors used to always talk about my butt all the time one of the engineers used to talk about my body all the time and it made me super uncomfortable, but I was so young and I didn't wanna lose my job, so I didn't say anything. You know, when I went and worked as a host for um, a professional tennis team, my boss asked me out and hit on me and was making me very feeling, making me feel very uncomfortable when he made a move on me and um, wouldn't let me go when he was drunk one night. And um, you know, after that, basically like I lost my job. But I also quit kind of at the same time. But it was super uncomfortable because I thought I had gotten hired for my talents when really I'd only gotten hired for whatever reason. Um, And then being hired at the next station I was at, you know, it was constant uncomfortable sexual jokes in the newsroom that it's like, oh, you just get used to. I remember being in the car with my boss the first day, whose wife was on the phone with him on speakerphone. Um, I was taken out to lunch by my boss and she was like oh I was so worried you were gonna take that hot blonde out to lunch and he goes referring to me he goes oh I'm in the in the car with the hot blonde right now which to me was so offensive and not okay like for your first day um and then all of a sudden gets back in the newsroom and tells everyone in the newsroom oh guess what it was so funny my wife called and um And she was like, oh, don't, are you, I hope you weren't taking that hot blonde to lunch because she said, because I would be jealous. And he was like, no, and she was in the car. And so I was like, oh yeah, the hot blonde's in the car right now, making a joke out of it. And like, what's funny about that? You know, it's like, that's just ridiculous locker room talk or whatever you want to say, but also just, just not okay for the workplace. And I really found out ways to set my own boundaries and be like, okay. You know, I'm a woman who really needs to show that I'm in power here. I'm in a position where I can show people, you know what, I don't give an F about what you're going to do. I'm going to tell you that what I do is more important. And once I started acting that way and I kind of had a DGAF attitude, people started treating me way differently. And I don't want to say that people are always going to um, stop, you know, acting a certain way or um, making sexual advances at people in the workplace. But I will say once I started protecting myself and really putting up these boundaries to people who did not treat me with respect, then I got start- I got treated with so much more respect. And for me, it was just showing that I could do the work, showing how important that I, that my job was to me making sure that 100% I was taken seriously and that no one saw me only as the cheerleader, because that was always the problem too, is that people only saw me as this physical being as an object. I was constantly objectified and I wanted people to see me at, excuse me. I wanted people to see me as this talented journalist, you know, somebody that could write somebody that could report on incredible levels. You know, being a journalist was another lifelong dream of mine. I started a newspaper in elementary school, um, was about, I think I was in first grade and I wrote everything out. I wrote all the pages out hand and by hand in pencil. And it's just finally getting the respect from people and knowing that I'm doing a good job for me, um, is what has been so great and so empowering about having my own platform now as a journalist. Um, I know that kind of went off on a tangent there, but yeah, that's kind of where I'm at and what's so exciting about what I'm doing now.
0: Just want to say, I, I hate that you had to go through that experience, but wow, I'm glad you you know you were able to take something from it. You know what I mean? In the midst of uh, the harassment.
1: So, so you have your uh, own podcast mm-hmm. after the or- after the Orange Slices. Uh yeah. Where did, where did the name come from? What what was your inspiration behind that?
2: Well, I mean, think about you know everybody plays soccer as a kid or some kind of youth sport, you know where. Um, depending on who the team mom is or whoever is bringing snacks after the game, it's, it usually was always orange slices, like in the nineties or gushers or, you know, fruit roll up or caprice and whatever. But to me, my image of a post game snack and celebration, what comes to mind for me is orange slices. And I even think, you know, halftime, but mostly after the game, um, I just think about that. And that's always been something that stuck in my head and just those happy memories as a kid because sports have been something that is so important to me all my life. It's the way that my dad and I bonded all my life. And um, and I just feel like it's such a fun way to think of something that is really hard because my show really talks about the athlete loss of identity or athletes exploring um, themselves off the field, off the court, you know, the more than an athlete um, thing, basically, like more than an athlete theme. So the Orange Slices is a really great way to kind of lighten up a really heavy topic. That's
0: great. I think that's a great initiative. Uh, we'll have to get the handle on everything so our listeners can find your podcast at the end. Yeah. Um, but I do want to ask, uh, looking back at all you've been through thus far, um, what advice would you give the younger Bridget?
2: Don't be afraid don't be so fearful and stand up for yourself. I used to let people walk all over me and people would tell me all the time. And I always thought, what, I'm strong because my name Bridget means strong and my middle name Francis means free. And my last name Case in a lot of, um, I'm pretty sure in a lot of languages means brave. So my name is strong, free and brave. So I felt like, you know what, if my parents are gonna name me with this badass name that means that, then I've gotta live up to it and I'm not living up to it. I wasn't, you know, I was being weak. I was scared. I was hiding behind, um, you know, the, oh, I want to, or I will, instead of I'm doing this now, instead of the t- taking action. And finally, you know, this year I'm really taking action. I'm throwing caution in the wind and I'm like, have no fear. What's the worst that could happen? You know, I would tell anybody, you know, reach out to that person that you've always wanted to reach out to to get an informational interview. You know, connect with that person on LinkedIn that you're scared to connect with. Tweet that that um person that you are so inspired by in your life who may be able to give you some insight and you have been so scared because they have so many followers or are really famous, whatever. Whatever it is. Like for me, it was always approaching people. Like I was just really nervous and I wish that I wouldn't have been so afraid and I would have just been so much more secure with who I was and realized, wait, I'm so great. Like anybody who rejects me, that's their problem. And also what's the worst that's going to happen? You know, like go after the guy that, you know, you really want to go after too, or you've had a crush on forever, but you're scared he's going to reject you because, you know, he's really popular or whatever. What's the worst that could happen? Plus you're super cool because if you are able to, like just go for it and have that kind of um, grit and gut, then you're gonna make it through life okay. And if you can get through that, you can get through anything. And the feeling of knowing that I can't, every time I get knocked down, I get back up, I just know that means I'm gonna be okay. And so if I could have just told myself, hey, everything's gonna be okay, just go for it, take risks, then um, I would have been a lot happier and a lot more at
1: peace. Our podcast is titled The Process Podcast. What does trust in the process mean to you?
2: I mean, I think just what I said is just knowing, hey, everything's going to be okay. Take the risk. Go for it. Don't be afraid. I mean, that doesn't mean be um, like be smart about making your decisions, obviously, but take a chance on yourself. If there's been something that you've always wanted to do, if there's just been a business that you've always wanted to start, if there's been a podcast that you've always wanted to launch whatever it may be just do it instead of planning it out for an entire year just start it just do it because your first episode is gonna suck your first product is gonna be awful no one's gonna listen to your first episode nobody's gonna be your first follower when you launch your you know first when you launch your podcast Instagram or whatever <laughs> you know Nobody's gonna give you that pat on the back, maybe your parents, but then the harder you work and the more you work at it, then all of a sudden you're gonna start gaining traction. You're gonna start gaining the eyes of people who, oh, you know, this is interesting. Oh, I'm gonna, you know, and then people start to come and it's like, if you build it, they will come. You know, one of the greatest sports movie references of all time. And I really truly believe that the more you build, the more people will come. And I am building my empire right now. And the more I keep on building this thing, which is going to be huge, the more people are just coming on this journey with me. You know? And it's not exactly people that I know. I'm just meeting new people on the way. But I've never felt so positive. And I just want more people to understand. Trust. Trust your instincts and just
1: go for it. Are there any lasting words you want to leave with the listeners?
2: I mean not really. I mean just just that I want anyone out there who's struggling or feels like they are in a dark place to know that life is worth living. Don't give up. There's a reason that God put you on this earth and you have such a beautiful soul. Start with 3 things every morning that you're thankful for. It's all about gratitude, right? And it doesn't have to be journaling, but for me, I will just like talk to myself and I'll either record myself or I'll just talk to myself um But I know not everyone has time to journal, so I don't deal with all that BS. But I just think it's so important every day if you can remind yourself of three things that you're grateful for. Then you'll start your day off so much more at peace and so much more happy and you will smile and you will be able to deal with adversity throughout the day with less stress. It's just a great way to start your day.
0: Wow. Um, I want to thank you for... For joining us on the podcast and, and for being so transparent and so open about your journey because um, it's unique but I like how you overcame a lot of obstacles and, and you realize your strengths um, along your journey so I want to thank you for that um, where can the listeners find you if they want to connect to your podcast or just connect to you
2: yeah well if you want to listen and subscribe to the After Orange Slices podcast you can find it on Anywhere you listen to podcasts, so Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, it's just After Orange Slices, so you can search that or search my name, Bridget Case, Um, and then connect with me on Instagram at After Orange Slices, and follow me on Twitter at Bridget Case underscore, so, um, and of course my website is AfterOrangeSlices.com, so um, lots of ways to connect.
0: This concludes episode 41 of The Process. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And to like us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Thank you. And they're chanting, Trust, the Trust the process. Trust the process. Trust the process.
1: I think the main thing for me was trying to decide on who am I and like what I want to be and how I want to be remembered. Like that was my thing. Right? You know, oftentimes I think about, like, my legacy and, like, the mark that I want to leave, not only on the industry, but the effect that I want to leave on people. Being a whole human being, going through my obstacles, going through the things that I'm going through, and not to only broadcast these things, but for it to inspire change.